Oh me, oh my! Look at that fish! What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Smalley Talk Podcast. This is your host, Josh Shrinko, and I have two other handsome gentlemen in the studio tonight. Yes, you do. Mm. Mm. Can you guess who they are from their voices? They both uh, have very it's, low... It's your co-host, Chris, <laughs> <laughs> and also Reed, Dr. Reed Morehouse. Hello, hello. Dr. Mudbug in the house. What's up, Reed? Just another glorious day. Driving it, around in the, here, hold in the rain. Up. Yep, Dr. Mudbug and Dr. Mudbud over here. <laughs> uh, just to clarify one thing, Reed came up a couple weeks on the podcast and I said, uh, Josh asked what he's been up to and I said, I think he has cancer. We found out today that Reed is a cancer survivor. Oops. 15 years strong. 15 years strong. Lives, he's living strong. Wink, wink. Everybody knows what that means. You don't want to put your stuff out there. but Chris, you uh, have a knack for that. Do you, have, do you care about... Oh, oh no, I don't you care. Want to t- do you want to tell your story? Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm half the man I used to be. So um, it was about 15 years ago or so. About 15 years and one ball ago? Yep. <laughs> 15 years one ball and two kids if that says anything so hey, now, good job everything's you, still rocking and rolling you told us before the podcast started that you're going to show us and i'm going to hold you to that so let's go ahead and see it <laughs> he did not say that and we didn't ask oh man yeah I mean, if wow. we're not going to see it we might as well call this episode because that's the only reason I'm <laughs> so special episode here we uh you know back by popular demand i'd say i would oh, say yeah. Very popular. Probably our most popular guest on the show. Definitely the most... We're not trying to make your head big read. Next but, to Tim. I no. I can't battle... No, Tim, Tim sucks. And nobody <laughs> likes it. I'm just kidding. No, for real though, I would say this. The more sophisticated listeners, the ones that are like already really good smallmouth fishermen, we got more feedback from those guys about your episode that by far than any of them perfect it's all downhill from there then yeah for (laughs) sure i mean we're not going to hold you to that standard for sure but uh today we have him back in studio not to talk necessarily about crawfish but to talk about the uh feeding changes in a light in the uh life cycle of a smallmouth bass right yeah that's part of it so the So the way that a smallmouth's diet changes as it ages and matures. Correct. Okay. Which originally Chris wanted to talk about Helgramites and Which maybe other we'll invertebrates. Do, yeah. Maybe and, we'll do uh, on another episode. Reed, Reed shut him down. Uh, yeah. He's like, no, I'm going to talk about. What he shut I my ball. <laughs> he shut my ball right in the door. <laughs> well, lucky for you guys, Helgramites are on that list. Yeah, and, oh. and, I, and I do have to say one thing because I know Cody Inskeep will be listening to this, and I've been talking about Helgram mites for years. Cody, he thinks I'm full of shit. But he just has no idea yet. Okay, all right. Well, so, let me ask. Shout you out, this. Cody. I you're getting ready. To, you're getting ready to eat it. Gray twerk. If you remember that <laughs> comment. Oh, I didn't know that. You're getting that. ready to. You're getting so, ready to gargle on Reed's one ball. <laughs> so he's some kind of. 
He's either like an athletic trainer or a physical therapist, one of the two. Yeah, so he was an athletic trainer for Indiana State for years, and now he works for a company called Biotics. And I need to get with him because I side. I'm in that like industry, so I've mm. noticed that he's a he's an AT. So, um, well, in the so, meantime, I want to talk a little bit about fishing because I have gone we, recently. <laughs> Well, we went today. Well, Josh and I, I wouldn't went. call that as much of a fishing trip as just standing in the rain in the <laughs> yeah. middle of a creek. Josh and I went today. It was snowing. It was beautiful out this morning. And I looked outside and I thought of my buddy and I thought, man, we should go fishing today. It'll look great. I could just picture my hero pose now. Snow mm-hmm. on the banks, me holding a big smallmouth. Uh, and then about the time Josh pulled in, it was it turned from snow to just nasty disgusting rain oh yeah it was nice and we didn't catch anything and uh but my brother and i went last weekend and i caught a really nice two really nice fish so and then he caught uh one so would you uh what were you guys catching them on um they i had like this uh it was like a marabou body silicon legs and lead eyes it was like a it's like a crawfish imitator but on a bobber it was on a bobber. Uh-huh. <laughs> yep. Yep. I saw you had one on today. Yeah, lost I lost it. one today. Couldn't close the deal. Couldn't close the deal. I, ca- I got complacent. I was looking at you as you were walking back, and I looked over and set the hook and felt him head shake and just popped out. So You definitely weren't in the game. And then today. I looked at my hook, and it had straightened out because I had gotten hung up on the bottom before that. So. That'll do it. Yeah. But, uh, but anyways, so... I guess we should just jump right into it, unless you have anything else. Oh, do we need to announce the winner of the... Yes, actually, and I don't have my... Do you want to pick one winner each? Let's let... No. Or you want to do just one winner? Yeah, one winner. I think we should do one each. Because well, I liked I liked one particular... I liked one particular response. So are we going to send two prize packages out? Yeah, we can send two prize packages out. I could do that. Yeah, because we've got plenty of stuff here. Okay. So... Um, so I'll go ahead and announce mine, and then do you want to pick one randomly as well? Yeah, I'll give me your phone because I don't have my phone on me. Okay. Well, I'll just tell you that um, mine came off of uh, Facebook. Well, the so, so the secret word was pumpernickel. Yeah, and I, I'm choosing Jesse Daniel from Facebook, who wrote. <laughs> Pump her nipple <laughs> instead of, <laughs> of pump her nickel. And so technically he didn't follow directions. So he didn't at all, but uh, I just thought it was hilarious. Pump her nipple. That's how we. That's how we roll around. It gave here. me a, gave me a pretty good chuckle. Do you want? What do you want to pick yours off of? Instagram or Facebook? I didn't even. Is there? I didn't even know they had responded on Instagram. Um. Okay. Well, then do it off of Facebook, or you can do one off of. There were two iTunes reviews. As well. Let me see the, let me see the Facebook. See okay. The Facebook. All right. Here we go, buddy. Let me see here. All right. This is riveting radio. Okay, I'm just gonna. Josh, I'm gonna close my eyes. And put your finger on somebody. Nick, Nacrelli. Nick Nacrelli. Let's see. The let's Italian see. Stallion. Let's see where Nick's from. I don't know. He's a handsome, handsome fellow right there. Yeah, sure. Holding up the wrong kind of fish, but uh, you should see his uh, Instagram handle. Isn't oh, that really? the F? That's yeah. delicious guy. Oh, yep. I like that guy. Yep. Yeah, it's that's him. Yeah, I think he's a chef. 
It's dadlicious. Isn't that his? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. All right, so Nick Necrelli and Jesse Daniel. Uh, we're going to send you guys out some stickers. And Jesse's some, a good guy. He's and some flies and uh, some poorly tied flies, and then I think you're going to send them a lure, right? <laughs> yeah. As well. I'm going to go I'm One gonna of pick your... a very special to my heart smallmouth lure. I'm gonna, yeah. It might have some use on it. Yeah. So let's Love. jump right into this thing, baby. It's going to be rusted, falling apart. Yeah. But I didn't like specify if it had to be functioning. <laughs> See those shitty not? lures hanging over there on his pegboard. <laughs> These are all He's just going to close his eyes and pick one. So I'll find. I found a couple crankbaits in a tree. Yeah, right. I'm just going to send them to you. So tell us, uh, Reed, what you what have you been up to since the last episode? Well, it's been shoot. It's almost been a year, I think now. Yeah, from everything. So. Uh-huh. Well, I started a new job, had a kid. Well, I guess it's my wife had the kid. So where are you working now? I work for a company called Seapro. We manufacture aquatic herbicides and other turf and ornamental herbicides. We're based out of Cornwall. Doing God's so, work. Doing sir, yeah. manufacturing just, herbicides. Just, po- <laughs> just polluting the environment. <laughs> <laughs> Using top-of-the-grade aquatic technologies. So uh, Okay. Sounds, he actually, sounds like a salesman. Yeah, you can tell like he's that. in sales now. We are a leader in the industry, so there is that feather in the cap. But. Sure. Now, do your products come with coronavirus when you get them from China, or how does that work? <laughs> so we actually manufacture everything here in the United States. <laughs> oh, okay. So well. any coronavirus is purebred. <laughs> I like that. Straight right here, actually, in North Carolina. What part of North Carolina? Uh, it's right outside of Raleigh, Whitakers. I was just in Raleigh last week. So, mm, humble brag, humble action. brag, just in Raleigh. No I was big in deal. Durham. I actually stayed in Durham. <laughs> flew no. to Raleigh. No big deal. Big time. And I just flew to Raleigh last weekend. That's definitely not big time. <laughs> <laughs> so you're working uh, in herbicide. Do you do any research or are you doing anything else? Or what do you, what yeah, you so sales? I do, I do research and development in the Midwest um, all the way through the Great Lakes state. So Minnesota, Wisconsin, Illinois, Indiana, Ohio, Michigan, et cetera. And then sales for the, I guess, Great Lakes East states. Okay. So you're still in, still tangentially, I guess, involved in science. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I'm still aquatic biologist for this company. So that's cool. uh, We're mainly focused on invasive species. So keep the natives, get rid of the invasives, and basically make these lakes better. Moved into the private sector, bud. Yeah. Yeah. Dollar signs. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, really. Exactly. (laughs) Uh, Well, and then you said you, you had a kid. Yep, she is actually six weeks old today, so she was born December 29th. Aww. <laughs> you should exactly. You could just chop that in with a real, yeah. <laughs> like an audience noise. Aww. Um, She's yeah. a crier, so. Like uh, a sleep, but we're Is that your guys right. first, or did you already? Second. Second, okay. Yep, so I've got the three-year-old, now her. Two girls, or? Oh, yeah, two girls. I'm a girl dad. Yeah, me too, mm. man. Yep, so I've already got it. Yeah. You can that's feel probably the testosterone because, just getting sucked out of your body. That's yeah, probably because you have them. one nut and Josh has a very small <laughs> penis. So that, <laughs> that results in 100% girl production. You can't help it. I guess he can't either. But So anyways. Uh, Chris so you, has no shame in taking bought, shots at, at people's... Cancer survivors? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you heard it here Reed, first. Reed's, Reed's uh, tearing up over here, reliving <laughs> oh, that time in his life. Chris is just like taking jabs he every time in. he gets. Honey, how was the interview? It was fine. <laughs> just, I, These I guys got, picked on me. I've got the defamation just starting to line up right now. Hey, the on. best defense of defamation is truth. So <laughs> <laughs> I haven't said anything untrue. It's just mean. <laughs> So anyway, so, and you said you bought a little boat, right? A little. Uh, yeah, so uh, I picked up a Smith fly. 
based out of Troy, Ohio, a few weeks ago. Those um, are cool. Yeah, I got I got the big shoal, so the three seater. Mm. Definitely upgraded the seats. And they're a lot. Like, how heavy is that? We're gonna have to race. Twenty-three pounds. It's it's a lot lighter than mine. We're gonna have to race the hooligan versus the Smithcraft (laughs) race. Fly. (laughs) I think his. It's pretty light. I I think. So, but that's not a flycraft. No, flycraft's based out of. You think those guys would come up with better, more unique names? I know, dude. I know. Smithfly, flycraft, fly butt. Yeah, Smithfly is one that they always throw off the bridge, though, in the Facebook commercial, right? That's Flycraft. No, that's Flycraft. Oh, you bastards. So, see, they're almost yeah. interchangeable. Yeah, Smithfly, Ethan Smith is the owner of that company, so hmm. he just uniquely used his last name. I saw oh, okay. them Can on, you car uh, top that? Like, you, oh, yeah. Or, is that how you're going to transport it? you have a yeah, trailer? Well, I've got a trailer I'm going to rebuild, but I put it in the back of my the truck sitting outside that crew cab. Oh, wow. Two straps, and it was good to go. They were on. That thing's Sm- going to be perfect for, like, you know, like big walnut and yeah. sugar creek. Smithfly like was on that uh, show, The Prophet. Have you ever seen that? Mm-mm. It's the one with Marco Simonis. Okay, the guy that owns uh, Camping World. Yeah, and, Gander yeah, Outdoors. The Gander Prophet. Outdoors. Like it's called The Prophet, like P R O F I T play on words. Oh, but he like okay. goes into businesses that kind of are struggling and need some help, and he goes in and buys a portion of the company and you know kind of like revamps their whole business model. Oh, okay. so it's a cool show. So what? Um, so other than the professional changes and obviously bringing a a, a little one around, what? Uh, any big plans for twenty twenty? Like trips or any anything on the horizon that you're kind of looking for? Yeah, I just almost finished up the fly fishing show trip. So we're at Heartland, and then we went down to Streamer Love Fest in Arkansas, and then the Cincinnati last weekend. So kind of wrapping that up a little bit, being. Who who are you doing? Is that for your business no, or for your job? Oh, just just doing it for fun. Yep. Oh, very cool. Just traveling around, and then yeah, we we've got a plan, um, our trip plan to go up to the Upper Mississippi over Memorial Day weekend. Oh, dude, of that, yeah. so we, we might see you up there, bud. <laughs> yeah, we don't have a trip plan. <laughs> yes, one hundred percent. You will see us. Well, there. first of all, <laughs> if you want to come, I'm I'm personally going to extend the invite. Yeah, so absolutely. If you want to come. No, for real. Hey, we're serious. Yeah, <laughs> it's a possibility. That's a that's a plus one because we we're taking on all comers and coming on all takers. So <laughs> especially guys come. coming on all takers. <laughs> so just know that going into it. <laughs> hey, don't we're be distracted taking, by the one testicle. <laughs> we're taking on all comers and coming on all takers. We're so we're Chris is already like putting negativity in my head about that trip. He's like looking at all the snowfall totals, and he's like, "I don't know, man. Dude. It's gonna be flooded. It's looking bad. It's, it's like four months away, though. So we got we got plenty of time. Let's not let's think positive thoughts. Yeah, I know. Know. well, you know, we'll see. That's our plan, though. That's our great. That's our our you know plan one A. We're up uh, in Mississippi, so we're interviewing, or at least I am. I don't know if Chris is gonna be here, but <clears throat> interviewing a guide up in Wisconsin. So I'm curious to talk to him. I'm doing that on Tuesday, so I'm gonna ask him how those rivers are looking up there. I think I think we talked, and it, it's gonna be a w- really weird scenario of two years in a row. <laughs> oh my Did God. that register at all? <laughs> oh yeah. All right, perfect. <laughs> oh yeah. Um, but two years in a row, like last year, everything north of Indian Indiana was like blown out. Yep. I don't think that there's any there's any way that'll happen. And if you guys ever. come to the cabin this year on the Upper Mississippi, you guys will be blown out too. 
Right? That's that's just a promise. <laughs> There'll be some blown out one way or another. Yeah, absolutely. No, it's uh, yeah for sure. Inv- Count in. Invite is open for you and who? Cody. He can't come, but okay. you. you, you <laughs> I we don't you know him. I want you to abandon him on the air right now. <laughs> we, okay, you got to answer right now. He'll shed a tear. <laughs> Ask the question. A single tear. Yep. Are you guys gonna go in your Smith Flyer? Are you gonna take kayaks? Uh, we don't. We don't have any plans up for that area yet, but. Okay. We are. Uh, we're, we're planning some stuff. We're actually taking the father-in-law up on Erie for some walleye. Ooh, uh, that'll be end good. Of, End of May, the weekend after Memorial Day weekend. So, okay. Ooh, we'll, we'll, yeah, good. we'll figure it out. We've got. When you have customers all over the place, you're making all kinds of con, all kinds exactly. of fishing contacts here. Yep. And yep. what's your area like? Ohio, Pennsylvania, uh, Michigan, Ohio, Indiana, and Kentucky. Ooh. So I'm in Michigan frequently, yeah. and in Ohio frequently. So. And who do you guys mostly sell to? Is it like, like. Uh, fisheries or who? Uh, so we sell to the state agencies, but we also sell to a lot of the application companies, like the guys you see treating private lakes and ponds. Okay, driving around. So, so like, okay, so people that treat like private lakes, like, yeah, uh, and public. So it's okay. Hmm. Very interesting. Yeah, it yeah, sounds it, like a pretty fun job. It makes the network <clears throat> quite wide, and since most people are already in the field, they enjoy fishing. So it makes hey, right? Let's true. have a fishing trip. I took mm-hmm. people last fall to. The, the PM up in Michigan for nice the, for the big King salmon run that came up there. So nice. Did you guys do any good? Yeah, we had, I think the biggest one was 35 pounds. The smallest one was like 11 or 12. Mm. So yeah, we did pretty well up there. Stayed on the lodge right on the river. So do you eat a bunch board. of them? Yeah. I think everybody kept almost all of them except for, Oh some. really? You kept all of them? Yeah. Dang. Except for some of them that were pretty in bad shape already. So right. like spawned out ones or yeah, whatever. They're just, they look like they just zombies. die. Don't they? Yeah. I mean, they're like zombie fish. Spawn and real die. Yeah. The Kings do. I thought, so I thought that for some reason they would do like several trips up there. Not the Kings. They don't, they don't, they're no. just single. Yep. Come up and die. Come wow. up, try to spawn and die. So, but That's behind them, you'll get commitment. co-hos and steelheads that will do both in and out. Right. Basically eating the eggs off of the king, so. If you knew that if you had sex, you would die afterwards, would you still have sex? Mm. With a woman? Oh. <laughs> I don't know, dude. This this yes. seltzer water is destroying my gut, dude. Apparently. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm seltered up right now. It's coming through my pores. So, anyways, I mean, if, if I... If I would I have sex if I knew that after I did I would die. Depends on how old I was. Maybe maybe if I was 50. 40. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. But they live like multiple years in the lake, right? Yeah. Oh, really? So they, I mean they get pretty big. Hmm. Kings get like 35, 40 pounds. So they just get that big until they're like at spawning age or whatever, maturity. Mhm. Hmm. So anyway, so here we are and here we are. Look at us. So just look at us. Just look at us, man. So you're wanting to talk to us about how how a smallmouth's diet changes over its life cycle. And let's let's point this out here. We, Chris and I were talking on their way back from fishing. Neither one of us knew that a smallmouth's diet changes <laughs> through their life cycle. That's that's one hundred percent. I go. Did you know what I said? Did you look at that thread? Did you know what Reed was wanting to talk about? And he's like, no. And I was like, uh, he wants to talk about how a smallmouth diet changes through their life cycle. And he's like, it changes. <laughs> <laughs> <I was> flabbergasted. <laughs> so, 
I mean, first of all, what kind of source material material are you relying on for this information? My PhD in aquatic ecology. Uh, okay, all right. <laughs> he so just this flexed is, on. So him. this is like peer-reviewed scientific material. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah, there's there's plenty of articles if you dig into it. Yeah. Get on Google Scholar and type it in. There'll be article after article. Okay. All right. So yeah. so it's based off of years of people killing or non-killing smallmouth to see what they've been eating. So you basically just dissect stomach content, contents and there's a correlation between the size of fish and the type of forage that they're getting. Yep. Okay. So what what how does it change from the time a smallmouth is? Let's just start at the very beginning. Uh, you know, a one-year-old smallmouth, well, obviously we got, we extremely tiny. Earlier than that. Okay, go ahead. All right. Yeah, let's yeah. let the man speak. So, All right. so you got to think about the moment they hatch. They have a, basically the the egg sac still attached to them, or the yolk of it. So I got to hold this closer. Okay. So at that point, they're they're living off of the egg, right? Okay. Or whatever's left of it. Once that runs out, at that point, they got to start feeding on something else. I mean, we're talking ten millimeters. Okay. Seven to ten millimeters. So they're eating off the egg sac the very first. Yeah. So so think about the yellow stuff from an actual chicken egg. Uh oh. Party fowl. Mm, I know. So they're they're feeding off of that, and then that's gone in the matter of four to five millimeters. So tiny. At that point, they got to start feeding on something else. So when you start looking at all of the other organisms that are in the water, there the first thing they're going to start feeding on are going to be like Daphnia. Or what's considered micro crustaceans. Okay. So copepods, Daphnia make up the majority of their diet at that point. I do not know what a Daphnia is, but you ever heard of a water flea? Uh, mm. Yeah. So this no. little thing here, uh, we've got a. We're gonna post this chart here that you guys can right reference right. throughout. Right so this would yeah. be on the oh, very okay. top right, microscopic. So how yeah. how exactly small are these things? Those things measure probably two to four centimeters, or sorry, two to four millimeters. So are these similar to like plankton, except they're freshwater? Yeah. Yep, they're considered zooplankton. Okay. The, so like a the, filter feeder would eat these as well? Yeah. Okay. Yep, so a filter feeder will eat those. Those things basically feed off of small algae, individual algae cells. This is very cool. So, okay. And what they're looking at for your guys' information is uh, Keta macroinvertebrates life in the river from the Wisconsin Extension. So that's you could probably type in Wisconsin so, Extension macroinverts. Yeah, we'll post a picture of this. Are they so like guys can... legit like chasing these things around and eating them, or are they like just gulping water and they're inside? So they're chasing them around. These things basically just do movements up and down in the water column, and that's about it. So okay. this is where so, they kind of start developing their. Yeah, their so prey drive and stuff like exactly. that. Exactly. Yeah, they're predators from basically day one, if That's you think about it from that way. So now, do smallmouth when they're that small, you know, up to what? What do you say, ten millimeters or something? Yeah, like ten that? to fifteen millimeters. When they're that small, do they stay in schools or do they go off by themselves or what's their behavior like socially? So that's interesting, based off of the the environment they're living in. Um, if you think about a lake versus a river, there's a lot of different flows. Sure. So, and that's that's one way smallmouth actually differ from largemouth and other more lake-dwelling bass is the fact that once the the male hatches the eggs after he's protecting the nest, yeah, he's pretty much done with them because the flow scatters a lot of these fish out. Okay. They'll stay in the shallows and still kind of school up, but they won't stay schooled like you would think of a school in a pond or a lake or something. So it's like mostly that. just a school that's. 
I guess, just easier on them. So they school just naturally based on the flow, not not for protection purposes or not for social purposes, but just because the water kind of forces them into the same areas. Uh, it's still for more of a protection also. Is it? Okay. Yeah, just uh, so if a predator comes in, a few of them are gone, but the majority of them can get away. So do they stay like in like uh, hereditary groups? So will they stay with like sibling pair, like sibling groups, or will they kind of just mix all in? Uh, eventually, they'll just mix all in because if you get a high flow, these things that you that size are going. With the, yeah, they're going with the flow. What's okay. the like survival rate? Uh, on that small, probably less than a percent. Holy so shit. you gotta think a fish is gonna lay. 500 eggs and you're hoping five of those fish make it to breeding size so hmm. how long will That's they wild. stay right on the nest like after they hatch uh, a couple days okay and then the, you said the male pretty much after their hatch because i've seen them on the nest before they're like little black you know and you mm-hmm. you can tell that it's a smallmouth nest that's just hatched so the but a lot of times the male will be gone already right when they're when they're even like as soon as they pop out yeah the Male smallmouth don't hang out too long on the nest in a rivering or a flowing situation. Okay. Just because yeah. it scatters their the I want, around. So. I want to, now that we're talking about this, let's reserve the like super grainy details of the spawn for another episode. Yeah. I want maybe in the springtime when spawn's around, I want you to come talk about that. We're but I'm, a few I'm, months away on that. I'm interested right now to know how that differs from a largemouth or... Like, do largemouth hang on the nest? I've seen videos where, like, they suck all the little fish into their mouth before. Is that... Yeah, so largemouth large will, will guard the nest after the hatch has already occurred. Sure. To basically enhance survival of its offspring. Okay, and smallmouth in a in a wild riverine situation won't do that at all. Yeah, not... I mean, okay. a couple of days and that's about it, so... All right. You also don't get too many largemouth in a riverine situation relative to smallmouth, so... Yeah. Well, I've heard that they don't coexist very, very well in like a small lake or pond situation because the largemouth will predate on smallmouth pretty heavily, right? Yep, and smallmouth will eat smallmouth also. So okay, it's a it's a very carnivorous world out there. So how yeah. long will it take a smallmouth to get up to ten to fifteen millimeters? Uh, that a week or two. Oh, so they grow. Yeah, they go they grow pretty fast at first, and then they slow down after. How big did you say? For a week or two? 10 to 15 millimeters. Okay, and that's... Um, 10 millimeters is one centimeter, right? Yep. Okay, so I'm going to my tape So 2.54 right. so centimeters, centimeters is one right inch. There. Yeah. Jeez. Okay, so then what, what do they do after they're chasing these little, these little uh, water fleas and stuff like that? So basically, once they get to that 20 millimeter range, give or take a few here and there, you know, of course, there's always variability... They switch to more of the other aquatic invertebrates. So if you think about like caddisflies or mayflies, um, stoneflies, damselflies, etc., they switch to the larval of them. Okay. <clears throat> so when you start thinking about nutritional value of your food at that point also, and that's where they kind of start making these shifts also as they get bigger. That big, they're eating mayflies. What? How big is that? It's 20 20, millimeters. 20 millimeters, is, and that's two centimeters, right? Right. Yeah, that's so. wild. Yeah, so just under an inch. I mean, I mean, these mayflies are only a quarter of an inch long or eighth of an inch long. So, 
once how, the once the mouth of these small mouths actually get large enough, whatever they can fit in it, they're gonna start trying to fit it in it. Wow. So how how long does it take a small mouth to how get up Chris to? Is. That's right. <laughs> how long does it take to get a small mouth to get to twenty uh, millimeters? Uh, you're probably within a month or so, four or five weeks. Oh wow! So they grow they grow really fast at the beginning because that's when they're the most vulnerable to any other predation that's out there. So if you think about it in terms of a month after the they hatch, so that would probably take around here anyways. That probably takes you up to like the end of June, I guess. Yeah, middle end of June. Middle end of June. So then at that point is kind of when you start to see those larger bug swarms and stuff like that. Yep. So that kind of just from a general common sense perspective, you know, that it's sort of worked out that way where they're they're about the right size to start eating these bugs when they start showing up. So that's that's pretty amazing. So um so then where do they go from from that from that point on, yeah. again, once they can start fitting anything in their mouth, they go for it. So you think about when crayfish, you know, I have to go back to that instantly. Um, they're having eggs also about that time. So you you get would. a bunch of tiny crayfish. Oh, I definitely wouldn't a heartbeat. <laughs> so you get, you get tiny crayfish that are a quarter of an inch long. These small mouth are now starting to feed on the new hmm. freshly born crayfish. Um, and how long is a freshly born crayfish? Uh, when they're when they first hatch out, they're probably about eighth of an inch. Oh wow! Okay. So so they're they're small enough that a a newborn or one a first year smallmouth can can eat a freshly hatched crayfish as well. Yep. Do they eat eggs as well? Crayfish eggs? Uh, no, they really won't do too much with the crayfish eggs because the crayfish eggs are attached to the crayfish mom. Sure. And they might get pinched to death. Well, they're pretty much food for the crayfish at that point, also. So yeah. So the crayfish are obviously eating whatever they can get a hold of, including small, like baby smallmouth. Yep. Any so. small fish, any eggs. As you've probably seen the videos from some of the lakes of how long it takes um, a goby or a crayfish to infest a smallmouth nest. Yeah, sure. If you fish it, it's, it's. Is that true? It's just like that in the river systems. Also, it wow. doesn't take too too much time to to go out there. So that's mm. one of the benefits of doing the conservation and not fishing for smallies when they're all nested up. So I know Chris has done that before in the past, but we won't bring that up. Chris tonight. targets, <laughs> he targets them. All right. He so removes the mail and he throws it up on the bank. <laughs> I just stomp through the nest. But, uh, so anyway, so they're after they reach that 20 millimeter, um, that you said that's about the middle to end of June. And then where do they go after that? Up. I mean, obviously Bigger. they continue to grow, but I mean, yeah, at that, at take that it, point, it's, you uh, take them up to like the end of the fall of their first year. How big, how big is a smallmouth? So they'll be about three, four months old at this point. You're looking at about three or four inches in Indiana. Gee, that sounds Christmas. familiar. So. <laughs> That's actually a lot bigger than I thought. Yeah. They grow pretty fast the first year and then they start slowing down. Um, when you start seeing like the, Oh, that 18 incher took seven to eight years to get there. Yeah, sure. It's, and a lot of that has to do with food sources also. Well, it's so. just like humans. We grow a lot faster than our babies. Because yeah. yeah. the, the last thing you want to do is end up being a food source to to something else your do, first year of life. So in their first year, do they continue to feed through the winter? I mean, is it they're still kind of feeding on these microscopic invertebrates as well? I mean, what do they what do they do? Yeah, so they'll slow down the winter just like every other size smallmouth does. I mean, the goal is to get big and get get big fast before that winter hits so you have some storage 
uh -huh. of you know basically fat and resources to where you don't have to feed as often metabolism slows down and you just basically get to the point where it's like all right i'm safe in this pool from anything else for the most part and let's just make it through winter then go back after it sure so you've probably noticed in the fall times also that there's always a bunch of bait fish running up on the shallows yeah and you might see a seven eight inch fish chasing them and that that very well could be a, a year yearling fish also but more than likely it's a year and a half year old fish at that point so okay. and then sometimes you see them run up and you're like what is chasing these things yeah right and it's gonna be probably a yearling hmm. probably a couple of them because they'll they still pack up and be in groups of i've seen them in five six seven in a group okay that small before still chasing in the fall so so when the spring rolls around what's a what's a, a you know young smallmouth's favorite food almost a year old at this point uh, they're going to be looking for still probably more insects than anything at that point. Are they? Yeah. So when you look at basically all the dragonflies and everything, mayflies that in the fall time are all over the place when we're fishing terrestrials. Sure. They're laying eggs. Those eggs are starting to hatch again at that point. In the spring? Yep. Okay. Come springtime, so they're starting to move around more, be more abundant, and then they can start attacking them Yeah, and at they're, that point. So about the time that its brothers and sisters are being born a year later, how big is our are smallmouth at that point that may be a quarter inch bigger they don't grow much in the winter time okay it's pretty so much a stagnant period so they're about probably four inches still yeah right around there okay and will they target smallmouth eggs if they can will they will they pretty much stay away from that and kind of just moving on to just bugs yeah it'll be it'll be mainly bugs at that point okay i mean at, at this point for the rest of their lives they're 100 percent predator wow they're looking for the chase and that just those those aggressive takes so so they don't scavenge at all no mm. no there's no need for them to scavenge if you think about all the creeks at least in the midwest where you find smallies you know clear clearish water rocky gravel bottoms yeah there's, there's plenty of food whether it's going to be insects or small fish that they're going to start feeding on now is it fair to say that their biggest threat at this point like a year old is probably flooding is that still a major a major source of you know smallmouth death i guess for the for the year old fish or do they are they pretty much aware of how to avoid that yeah they're they're strong enough at this point almost every fish species is that if it floods you're going to get fish that either move way deep into the channel behind structure or uh -huh. way off into the shallows on the sides okay to avoid that high flow so they're pretty much only vulnerable from flooding i guess until they get uh until they get kind of through that first spring so yeah, first month until so, about couple yeah, months of life. Couple months. Okay. All right. And will they breed in their first year or no? No, most of them won't. They at that point they're trying to just to grow their bodies up. Okay. They're so, so they're how old are they when they start kind of spawning? Uh that's gonna be variable throughout the Midwest at least, but it's it's gonna be at least probably a couple years of life. Huh. Okay. Yeah. So they're gonna worry about getting big first before they start putting energy into reproduction. Okay. So at this point, at a year, they're not doing any sort of bait fish. Then is that? They might be doing a little bit. Like I said, once they it starts looking at whatever they can fit in their mouth, they're going to eat. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So and there's other minnows that are out there that will spawn later, midsummer, late summer, time frame. So and as those, those are easy targets for them. As those mm -hmm. baby smallmouths start to kind of get pushed off the nest, it's one year old brothers and sisters are going to be munching on them as they're kind of getting pushed away from Could dad be very high potential yep okay all right um so where do we go from here 
Well, at that point, you start moving up, and then you start looking at, okay, I've been feeding on insects for a while. What's my next best nutritional option that's out there? Okay. I can eat a whole bunch of insects, or I can go after, say, a bait fish or a crayfish, where I'm going to get more bang for my buck mm-hmm. for that aspect of it. So then they kind of basically start switching over, I'd say, probably year two, year and a half, year two, is when they're going to be solely crayfish and bait fish. So at two years a old? Few insects. What's the length of a smallmouth here? Seven to nine inches. Seven to nine. Okay. For a two-year-old. And what, so I don't want to skip over the invertebrates too quickly, but what's like the main, like around here, what's the main or the most important invertebrate for smallmouth life? Crayfish. Okay. Well. That's that's everywhere they go. Okay. Other than cray, I guess I, when I said invertebrate, I meant, I guess, insect life. So. What what's the most important? He wants me to say Helgramite, doesn't he? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if you if you want to, if you if you. Yeah. So when you start looking at, there's going to be some uh, basically the Dobson fly or the alder flies. Uh-huh. Those are both. Well, of course, the Dobson fly is the Helgramite. Um, there is an alder fly that looks very similar to it. Okay. And we actually have a fairly decent alder fly hatch, which I think I can't remember who it was that had it on Instagram last summer, but showed it basically on the shorelines. Yeah. Of Sugar Creek. I think it was Chad Miller. It was, yeah. yeah. And they, they were the all like flies. the white. Yeah. Yeah. Because you can go there that time of year and like it looks like, you know, flower petals all over yeah. the Yeah. And both of those species, the Dobson fly and the alder fly, will eat the same food as basically smallmouth. So you're are, saying so. that was an alder really? fly? There's some of them are alder flies. I can't remember the exact species that Chad had. So on what that, on that video. do alder have to look at? Do alder flies? He called it white, a white fly. He called it like a paper fly or something. Oh, he did. Hmm. Maybe not. Maybe he said white fly. So those are the two most important insects, I guess. And that is that just because they're always in the water? Is that uh, there's like high throughout the year? Value in them. Okay. So if you start looking at the actual protein content and the other content from it, it's 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 a good treat. You got to make sure you get past those. So, so abundance and nutritional value makes those the most important. Sorry, we kind of cut out. So if I'm repeating myself, my apologies to our listeners, but yeah. So I just looked at it with the white fly hatch that Chad had posted at the end of his video. He said, look who comes to, um, attract to the dead, the dead ones here. And there was a Helgramite swimming away. Wow. Okay. It's basically kind of that food chain, that food web aspect of. You're going to have one thing hatch, and the one thing's going to feed on that, and it'll get it more abundance, and then just straight up the chain till we get to it. And sure. it's, it, it, it's hard to be a live Helgramite just on a hook in the creek for smallmouth. Uh-huh. For, for a natural live bait, it, it's hard to beat it. So um, that's going back to trying to tie some of these different Helgramite patterns and trying to get the articulations right yeah. so they can swim the same way. It's a, it's, it's a feat I'm working on right now. Well, I've seen them like there, it seems like the few trips that we've been on up North, we see them a lot more. So I guess my question is, do they have like a much more abundant, you know, population of Helgramites up there as opposed to here? I mean, how abundant are they in our rivers? Uh, certain rivers can be fairly abundant. It's going to depend on the water quality. Okay. So they're, they're so, sensitive to water quality at that aspect. So being in the corn belt of everything in agricultural land. Sure. You're looking at probably Sugar Creek, uh, Whitewater River, and Tippy River are probably the best three for populations of good Helgramites here in Indiana. So Helgramites, explain the life cycle of a Helgramite. 
So when it's in Helgramite, is it a larva at that yep. point? Yeah, it's the larval stage of the and Dobson fly. Okay, and then it, the full-grown is the Dobson fly. Yeah, okay. so all of these different aquatic species, these inverts that I've been talking about, mayflies, uh, dragonflies, damselflies, Helgramites, all start off looking like what most people consider, like the if you see the movie Aliens versus Predators, right. uh-huh. most of those creatures are based off of right. some sort of biological creature. So at that point, then they'll, they'll go through a metamorphosis and then complete metamorphosis if we want to get real technical with it. And then they'll come out looking like the actual flying insects that we see. So how big does a Helgramite get? Uh, the biggest one I have caught was actually in the eastern streams of Oklahoma when I was doing research out there, and it was five and a half inches. Holy cow. Monster. Man. That one's still in a jar at my house. <laughs> I couldn't let it go. <laughs> I don't blame you. So, so what else? Is there any any weird, like any weird factors being thrown into their food chain like that you wouldn't quite i guess like uh, i see some stuff on here that like flatworms and i mean leeches i'm assuming or but i mean are those types of things entering their their diet at this point as well at two years yeah they would be if they encounter them okay uh, one thing when you start looking at flatworms or leeches they live in more poor quality habitats sure so you really won't find too many smallmouth but at the same point, smallmouth is going to be opportunistic. So if it's there and it can fit it in its mouth, it's going to try to eat it. Yeah, it's weird because when I was up in, uh, it was a long time ago, but went up into a smallmouth trip up in Wisconsin, and leeches are like what everybody uses for live bait up there. Why Why is that? You ever seen a leech swim? No. It's real ribbon-like, so there's a lot of movement to it. Okay, so, so it just kind of attracts. Yep. Okay. Yeah, about... people trail leeches all the time for walleye too up north. Hmm. Yeah. Okay, so they're at two years, uh, just kind of starting to make the transition from like a purely insect diet over to and and a small newborn crayfish diet into kind of uh, maybe bait fish, maybe um, you know other like maybe a baby frog, something like that, um, big beetles, that type of thing. Yep. So where do they go um, from there? How long does it take before they're really on like a like a real um, bait fish diet and like bigger crayfish? Uh, they're pretty much on it at that point. Okay. It's, it's like I said, I keep repeat myself, but if they can fit it in their mouth, they're going to hit it. Sure. So at, at that point, they're they're getting every crayfish they can that doesn't try to get them first, and then um, any bait fish that come vulnerable, and then. You, see, you hear a lot of popping on the water surfaces of smaller fish, and a lot of these are some of these smaller smallmouths. Okay. But by th- by year three, they're also a little preoccupied with the spawn during the spring, right? Yeah. more. Yeah, some of the population will be. I wouldn't say it's 100% at that, you know, that time ready to go. But, yeah, yeah. so they're going to start feeding heavily out of right out of winter to get ready for spawn yeah those pre-spawns fish they're going to fall right into that category and how does their diet change i guess once they start the spawn so they won't feed for a while so once like like most fish that fall into the smallmouth and other like panfish type of you know shrincharchid family um, the female lay the eggs and then the male will guard the nest Mm -hmm. until they hatch and then at that point once that male basically lays his sperm down on those eggs guards the nest he's not really feeding much at all unless something comes that close and he's got to protect the nest so they'll feed a little bit here and there but they're not going off and feeding so he's not really feeding for 
to eat, he's more feeding just in a purely defensive. Yeah, protecting his And his, as a little bonus, family. he gets a snack. That's why Chris yep. puts the fly right on the nest. That's right. That's the best <laughs> technique that I'm Just here. bob it up and down right on top of the nest. <laughs> yeah, so, so. That's the best strategy. I've definitely done that with largemouth. So, and it's Have not you? as easy as you would think. But what I guess the, for a buck bass it is, but like a female, it's a lot harder to What are the females them. doing during while the males are guarding the... Uh, they're done. The nest. They're out feeding again. They just put in all of that energy um, and the eggs and everything for the actual spawn. So Yeah, but they're the ones that actually make the nest, right? No, the male will make the nest. Yeah. Then why do I see females with the bloody tail? What's the deal? Because at, at that point, they're both still fanning it. So there's like there's a whole courtship time period too. That so fanning is not making the nest then. Uh, it's keeping the nest clean. Okay, so gotcha. that's how yeah, they so kind of select mates, right? The both the size of the fish and the quality of the nest. Yep. They want to ensure that their their eggs that they're getting ready to shoot out onto the nest are going to survive. <laughs> yep. But it definitely falls back to survival of the fittest. <laughs> yeah. At that point, so. Okay. Now, I mean, I think that, I mean, some of these questions, I, you know, I don't want to sound insulting to the people listening. I mean, I know the answers to some of these questions, but I'm also sure trying to elicit, mm-hmm. elicit information for people who may not know. And I want to hear it from the expert. So male smallmouth, are they bigger or are they smaller than the females, their female counterparts? Usually smaller. Yeah. Are yeah. they younger? Uh, or is it, it just they... They can be. Okay. So when you Cougars. Look, you're basically... Yeah, it's almost <laughs> it's almost exactly like that. So if a female is going to select a mate, she's looking at basically... Spry. How, how fit are you? Did you make she a want, good nest? She wants you cut up. Can I trust mm-hmm. your genetics? That's basically okay. what she's looking at. So young, virile, smallmouth comes in and seduces the older, fatter, more full female. <laughs> Oh yeah, I like that. And then it gets even more complicated. I'm hard after right that. now. <laughs> I'm, I'm watching I'm, you. I'm half at least. Uh, all right. So then I just and, thought that was chapstick in his. Right. <laughs> it's not. It's it's Bert's bees. <laughs> uh, so anyway, so at year three, what's the what's the size of our of our smallmouth again? You're probably looking right around 10 inches. 10 inches. Okay. Yeah, 10 inches to maybe 14 inches, depending on if they live in a real good area. And then up north, we're not looking at 10 inches probably. We're looking at like six, seven, eight. Probably closer to that, yeah, eight mark. Okay. And are they, and so I'm assuming that they would kind of be like a year behind about, you know, getting ready to spawn as well, right? So they would be like a four-year fish instead of a three. Uh, No, they'll still still spawn that early from the age side of it. At least they're they're able to. Okay. Now whether right. they find a mate or not's a different story, but sure, they're, they're able to spawn. They're just smaller in general. Okay. Um, now, uh, after they come off after they come off the spawn in their third year, um, what what kind of food sources are they looking for right away? Well, if you think about when they get done spawning, crayfish are right there. Right? Yeah. So you get right. crayfish that are molting, so you get the whole soft crawl aspect. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're really keying in on them. At that point, because it's easy meals. It's almost like a puzzle. Like the way, like the more that you talk about the life that that lives and and sort of adapts inside of the river systems that we fish, it's like a puzzle that all fits together. It's an evolutionary puzzle. Well, yeah, I mean, Bingo. obviously, but but I mean, it just it's it's pretty cool. Like the more that you kind of talk and the more that you teach us about these different 
you know, organisms that live out there and the way that the smallmouth kind of interacts in their own world, it, it's pretty cool. I mean, it's it's great. Yeah, it's not really so much a food chain versus more of a food web. Yeah, sure. So there's arrows pointing from every single species back and forth, pointing you, pointing back from you. It's it's. And we're it's at the top. Crazy. Chris is at the top. That's right. Of the food web. <laughs> so one thing, you know, Josh and I were kind of talking about when we when we were getting ready for today's episode, and, and I use that term very loosely, <laughs> <laughs> when we mentioned that we were going to record a podcast tonight, um, he said, well, Reed is going to talk about how a smallmouth's diet changes over its life cycle. And I said, well, I mean, I catch everything from dinks all the way up to 20 inches on the same lure so um can you kind of talk to us about how a top end smallmouth's diet will vary from like a third year smallmouth's diet yeah so it's not going to vary that much if you actually look at the stomach contents mm -hmm. so one way we sample large smallmouth so we don't have to kill them is called a lavage uh, method where you basically take pvc and stick it down its throat dump water, invert it, and it basically kind of pukes everything up. Sounds, okay. sounds very pleasant. Mm. Yes. So, but better than killing them, I <laughs> that guess, is at this true. point. So. Well, I think trout fishermen do that, like, a lot, right? Oh, yeah, like a turkey baster. Yeah, they turkey based like, a trout summit contents to figure out what microorganisms they're eating. Those so son that they of can, a bitch cheaters. So that they can pattern them. Like, I think that's kind of common, actually. I wonder if that's illegal yeah. in tournaments. Trout tournaments? <laughs> no. no, I was just talking about like smallmouth tournaments. I don't know. Make them puke. Yeah, most people don't want to do that because you're worried about weight. Well, Unless I know, but like a kayak <laughs> tournament, for, for the inside of it, yeah. But it, I mean, you could catch like a smaller fish and do that you know, that you weren't planning on keeping anyways. Okay, it'll but, be in the rules now that you mentioned it. Yeah, right. Yeah. Before you answer Chris's question, um, so is this? At, did you just did you just step over my question? I did. All right. Um, Year from year three on, are we pretty much settled in the same diet? Then, like, are we? Yeah. Are, would you keep going with this life cycle story, or have all the major changes of their diet kind of stopped? Major changes are already set. Okay, so and that kind of goes back to answering yeah. the question of gotcha. You can throw the 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 bugle bug out there, and at that point, it's going to be: does it look realistic, and what's the opportunity there? Mm -hmm. So you don't find too many. Bigger fish take less chances. So they've been around long enough. They know that, well, last time I ate something like that, it didn't turn out too well. Right. Maybe I won't where the smaller fish are still like, well, it looks like food. I'm going to go nail it. Right. So that's kind of the big difference you start getting to with some of these older fish, which is why you throw, I'll just stick with the bugle bug. You throw a bugle bug and you see a fish sit there and he's still bugling. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, guys. Yeah. So, so anyway, so you, so you throw that bugle bug and you see a fish stare at it for 15, 20 seconds and right. then just swim away. Bigger, older fish do that. Some of the smaller ones are hitting at the moment it hits the water. So that's mm -hmm. where you start getting into the differences of, all right, same presentation. What in the hell is the difference? Yeah. And it's just, they've been around longer. They know if it's real or not. Yeah. So. Okay. Well, I guess for around here, how old are these top end fish, these 19, 20 inches? I'd say we're probably looking at somewhere in that seven to 10 year range. Mm -hmm. I took some scales off of a 17 and a half inch out of Sugar Creek last summer, and it was in its seventh year of growth. 
a 17 incher was 17 incher Ooh, and it was that's crazy so do you just have that technology or do you send it to a lab or something no you can actually just hold the scale up to the sun and count seven years seven years ago must have been a good spot because there's a ton of 17 inchers did you just hear how he ages smallmouth no, you just sort of again. talked over a PhD <laughs> as he explained how you say can age smallmouth. You could just take a scale off of them and then hold it up to the sun and oh, you can rings see the it. rings, just like yeah, you do just a, like tree. a tree. Yep. Yeah. Did you know that? Don't you just kind of finish a sentence like you know? No, that. but it makes sense. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I mean, I've seen <laughs> I've seen rings in a scale before. I just didn't know that's how. How do you pluck them off? There, just like a pair of pliers or something? Yeah, or I mean, you can actually take the fish hook and just run it slightly it. backwards, and one will. Catch right on pretty easily. Yeah, right. So, That's fascinating. Yeah, so, so it's not. Is that how they age them in the field, like scientifically, or how? how yeah, that, that's one way of aging them. Other way is cutting off a couple of the dorsal spines. Um, looking at some rings there, we have to be careful because there's false rings within that. And then the real true way is they've got bones in their head called otoliths, and that's of course you have to sacrifice the fish for that. So. People have done a lot of studies to compare the otoliths versus the scales and other structures to say approximately these are within one and a half to two and a half years of what the fish really is. So, we'll so is, that, that. is that the gold standard now then? If they're going to age fish in the field, they just do it with the scale? Yep. Just so that the, you don't have to kill those yep. top-end fish. Expe- mm-hmm. Yeah, especially if it's a longer, slower-growing fish at that point. Bluegill, largemouth. There's so many of them. Now, kill them are, left and right. Are those rings present because there's like periods of slower growth and then they grow real fast in the summer exactly. and then they yep. s- slow down the winter. So it's like denser in that yep. area. That's really yep. cool. That's exactly how they lay them down. And there's some, there's of course tricks to the trade of knowing if it's a false ring or not. So, I mean, I've, I've counted a largemouth bass scale out of a northern lake here in Indiana working with the DNR and it was. 22 inches long and it was approximately 15 years old give or take jeez so and that was a large mouth but there's a lot of rings in there that start overlapping you're like kind of is that really a year or not what's so, the oldest smallmouth you've ever seen before i've ever seen like Ooh. anywhere uh probably 10 years is that when they start getting old enough to where they're gonna die uh that was in a lake so it's hard telling and it was in a northern lake so it's pretty cold at that they point. live longer in lakes then a little easier uh, life yeah less flow less you know they're, they're lazier so that's why you see more lake fish and more football versus long and longer and skinnier right so i'm sure they get older than that um i was talking to a guy down in arkansas actually who is here in indiana and he has a picture he has yet to send me of a 24-inch smallmouth out of the Tippy River. Of course he hasn't sent it to you yet. Oh, he showed it to him on his phone. I just haven't seen it. He hasn't sent it to me so I can show it to you guys. It's on tape. Oh, it's really? Taped. It's taped out. I want to see it. It's a pig. I so, want to see it. 24 inches. Do you I won't Christmas? call him out over the air, but... <clears throat> well, if you can, I'll, if you... I'll, if shoot you... Him, I'll shoot him a message here afterwards and say, hey... Send me that picture. If it's verified, I mean, I'm sure he's not going to mind if you tell everyone he's caught a Is it huge the, small it, was, it, it wasn't even him. It was somebody he was guiding did for. He have, uh, did gotcha. he lay the fish next to his tennis shoe? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. on the ground. It has like <laughs> dirt all over yeah, it. His, his client was Rick Smits, so he <laughs> laid it next to his shoe. Uh, yeah. Put it inside of his shoe. Yeah. Very nice. Well, uh, what kind of... Um, so... 
do smallmouth is there like any sort of a sickness or anything that they have around here that uh, that we should know about like blue tongue for deer or anything like that is there anything for smallmouth like that yeah uh, as far as i know there's nothing specific to smallmouth i mean you're gonna have your usual ick that you see in like actual our fish tanks and all of that too that's out there um and there's some other basically fin rot and other bacterial um infections they could get but that's not going to be anything that's just directly towards smallmouth okay and that so, is that tied to water quality as well yeah, a you lot see, of it's water quality and you see lesions a lot mm-hmm. and you know people always like to post those pictures and mm-hmm. so, which brings me to another one this is just kind of a general q and think we have we moved on is there anything else you want to cover on how how the smallmouth diet changes over its life cycle no that's pretty much it okay so what about black spots on a bass I knew you were going to ask me that. You don't know, do you? It's it's it's, it's melanism of genetics. It, it's purely it's like genetics. a birth birthmark. Yep. I yeah. thought it was like an overpigmentation or something. That's like what melanism that. is. Okay. All right. Yeah. That's so it's just, it's basically the cells that are creating too much dark pigment versus more of that bronze or brown pigment. So the in the same way that a smallmouth can change colors based on stress and stuff like that, this is a fish that just has an overload of pigment in these in this one group of cells. Yep. So, is that like a same thing as like a mole would be on like a human kind of? Mole. Or not a mole, but like a birthmark, no, I guess. Mole. Bir- birthmark, more yes. Moles are different different categories. Yes, not so. mole. I yeah, misspoke. So we asked Tim Holschlag this, and he didn't give us a great answer. I don't know why we didn't ask you, but... So I'm sure you fished further north, and there's... I've, I've, I don't know if you've listened to the episode with him but we we asked him basically the fish that we catch in like upper michigan wisconsin minnesota they just seem like a completely different type of fish one they're stronger they're thicker they are darker usually what it are those a different strain than we're dealing with and not to mention as you go further south they get skinnier, lighter colored. I, I've, I've just been curious, like, what's going on there? So the smallmouth we have here are going to be the exact same species as the smallmouth in the upper states. Hmm. Uh, a lot of the pigmentation has to do with the landscape. Think about the number of pine trees that are up there. Tannins. They, yeah, the tannins. So there's darker water. They blend in more. They basically evolve to fit in that habitat better. Why are they thicker then? Uh, a lot of them are thicker because they grow slower. Okay. So where as you move further south, they get longer and skinnier, and then up right. there you get this. You can get the same age fish that might be three pounds heavier. Probably not three pounds, but you know a pound or so heavier, but four inches shorter for the exact same age fish. So if you get your twenty incher up there, then they're like ancient. Yeah, they're probably that 12, ten to twelve year mark minimum, hmm. if not rolling up there. So I mean, that that's the big difference is just habitat and growing season. But or, if you go further south. You start getting into subspecies of like the the red eye, the shoal bass, the kusa. All yeah. of those are still the micropterus dolome, kusa or dolome. You know, so they start splitting them off. So that's so those are micropterus dolome. I used thought that to be okay. So they're because micro is it micropterus? Yep. Dolome. That's smallmouth scientific name, yep. right? 
Okay. Because I was going to get that tattooed on my arm. I, I swear, so, I hope I screwed it up. <laughs> you should uh, ask just, Reed how to spell it. Reed, I was going to say, there's a couple, send, different, couple different ways of spelling it, too. Yeah, I'm not going to ask him. He'll way. give me the wrong <laughs> on purpose. I'll think no of another Latin name with yeah. dumbass on it. No regrets. <laughs> yeah. But, so, yeah, but you move further south and you start getting basically their isolated populations. Like in the Ozarks, there's a whole nother subspecies that's not quite out to its own species yet. But it's genetically different enough. That Neosho, said, yeah, Neosho is one of them. Um, like the Kusa and all of those, those are at one point they're probably all linked together in the same clade of smallmouth really? bass, and now they're genetically different enough. Which most people say, if you got five percent genetic difference, you're a different species. So okay, hmm. that's interesting. So the Kusa and the um, oh, what about Guadalupe bass? What are, what are those? At one point, they're probably all still linked together within the whole black. I mean, they're all still black bass, but they're probably closer. They are closer related to smallmouth than anything else. So Kusa and Shoals are different. Yeah, right. Kusa, Guadalupe, Red Eye, um, okay. Shoal Bass. Those are all different species now, and some of them still considered subspecies, depending on who you ask. Yeah, Shoal Bass look a lot like smallmouth to me. I see them. They have a little more of a green color to them. Yeah, and the tail's really red. They look like a mix between a large mouth and a small mouth to me. They see, have like that's a big more mouth. like what a uh, spot reminds me of. Oh, like really? A mix between a small mouth and a large mouth. Because huh. they have like the coloration of a small or a large mouth, but they have like that kind of defined jaw and shorter mouth than a, like a small mouth does. Hmm. Yeah, even down in Kentucky, there's the Kentucky red eye bass. Right. Which, if we but went that's down not there and, the red eye. No, it's different. Right. If we yeah. went down there and fish, we'd be like, "Oh, there's a bunch of little Jimmy smallmouth in here," and it's a subspecies because they just huh. don't get big enough, but they are still highly aggressive. Hmm. So, if you could put one, because out of this chart here, if you could put one of these as the most important factor for a healthy smallmouth fishery, what what would it uh, what would it be? I don't know if I can pick just one crawfish. Got to. Gun to your head. Well, crawfish. <laughs> All right. Well, there you go. If I had to pick just one, it's because of the, the way they live. But a lot of those on that list are there. They're just not dominant right? because of the water quality. If you look down towards the middle far right, you'll see like the water scorpions. Mm-hmm. Those, those are found in vegetation on the shoreline. So smallmouth are rarely going to even encounter those. Do we have a, a very substantial mayfly? Uh, hatch here we do it's they're real small ones they're the um, they're called square head mayfly i don't know if they're even on this list at all probably too general but they're heptagenids is the actual like genus name of them mm-hmm. and they're maybe a quarter inch if you count the basically little tail fibers that come out the filaments yeah so, so they're what, small when so did what, those come out uh all summer long okay so they're just coming off all summer yeah so what mm-hmm. is it when chris is throwing the buccal bug what are those what do those fish probably think that is? A lot of it's reaction strike. They look like a damselfly to me. Yeah, some of them. I actually, I've thrown a few like actual damselfly flies uh-huh. and didn't have worth the damn luck with them. But Booglebug annihilates it. Yeah. Um, I know there's Where's some guys over in Illinois that guys uh, in Illinois that guide the Midwest crew out there. They throw are starting to throw a lot of beetles. Uh-huh. That's what I thought that it kind of looked so, like to me. It's because it's got that brown dragonfly. It looks like a dragonfly. What's, what's the most prevalent like insect 
around like Sugar Creek, for instance. What's what's probably the most Mayfly and Caddisfly. Okay. Yeah, and what's interesting about that is smallmouth will actually preferentially go after mayfly larvae before they will caddisfly larvae. Huh. So it's got to be something like their digestibility or the nutritional value well, within them. This tastes better. It could. Yeah, maybe. Caddisflies uh, can live in some pretty crappy water too, so. Do cicadas, like, everybody talks, like, I, I hear this, like, every couple of years, like, oh, man, cicada's going to, it's a big cicada hatch this year or something, or this is the cicada year. Now, how does that alter the diet of a smallmouth? Well, the, so we have what this we have the thirteen year and a seventeen year yeah, cicada so, here in Indiana, like something like that. Yeah. So on those years where they're more abundant, you're if you actually went out and looked at stomach contents, you're probably going to find more cicadas in the stomachs. Yeah. At that point, because it's an easier food source, they're all over the place. Yeah. So I've caught them before, and they've been coughing them up. It's pretty pretty wild. Yeah. 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 So it's. I mean, they're they're big though. I mean, cicadas. That's a pretty big meal. Yeah. Yeah. Let me think it's about. It's like the same size as a small like crawfish. Yeah. So, what do you, what do you, what do you think about the uh, overrun of carp on the Tippecanoe? Have you been following that at all? I haven't followed too much into it. Um, Tippecanoe is an interesting one because since the dams on Schaefer and Freeman are regulated to pump water at a certain pace for the freshwater mussels that are in there, right? There's always going to be flow, which is always going to keep that system pretty nice looking overall in general um majority of those carp are running up from the wabash anyway so dude there we were there a couple times this summer i've never seen anything like that before. just stacked up dude like like miles and miles and miles and miles of carp like it it, it was to the yeah, point i was like this has got to be affecting the smallmouth like somehow I mean, it probably will to a certain point. It's because carp tear up the bottom so frequently. So if they're in high abundance in the spawning areas, now that a smallmouth bass is going to push carp away from its nest any any chance it gets. So it's going to protect it that way. But I mean, I'm sure there is degradation of habitat because of the carp that are in there. So you're not worried about it from a food competition perspective, more from a damage to nesting sites perspective yeah it's gonna be more of just the quality of habitat it's probably what they're gonna have more effect on ultimately if you think about more carp in the fishery there's more bait fish in the fishery right i mean the more carp there are they're putting off offspring and there's more uh, food for the smallmouth or how what, what's your thoughts on that <laughs> your your tone That's, got way less confident <laughs> yeah because he like did an it's, um thing <laughs> yeah, i would say it's, it's variable maybe so not you gotta think of all the other fish that are having their habitat destroyed also their spawning okay. habitat because there's certain minnows that require rock beds and there's other minnows that will move rocks to make their nest and then minnows that follow those minnows to lay eggs in with that nest to basically take the easy way out and ride off their backs. Do carp stay so. small long enough for smallmouth to feed on them though? They will. They've also got some pretty nice spines on them mm. that smallmouth will probably avoid after they eat, try to eat one or two of them because huh. it's harder to actually digest them all the way down and they get stuck in their mouths versus wow. taking smaller minnows that don't have any spines on them. So, so what, what's the main predator of a carp then? If it's not smallmouth, I mean, there's not a lot of other apex humans. Okay. Bow fishermen. Hillbillies. Yeah. <laughs> Good old boys. Dude, I yeah. could have shot so many of them those two times we were there. Like it was, 
in in the lower part of the White River, it was the same way. I mean, down here, I mean, it was yeah. just like tons and tons of cars. But yeah. I think it's probably always been that way in that Waverly to yeah, you know, south area. But Tippecanoe, it seemed like an influx to me. I mean, it seemed... Yeah, it seemed more. Their population seemed more robust than it had been in years past, and so, it's probably a, a cyclical thing. Also, let's when hope. you go back up there next year, and you might not. You might go, oh, I don't see nearly the numbers I saw last year. So, are the Asian carp in the Wabash uh, spawning? Or are they? Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's a battle we'll never we'll never win. See, I, I heard somewhere that there were spawning populations, and then there were non-spawning populations in the Wabash, and I wasn't. They're spawning everywhere. Yeah. Okay. Are there any of those? Is in, it the same in the way? White River. Oh yeah. They're coming up the white. Yeah. I think Williams Dam though they haven't made it past like Shoals, right? I don't. Th- unless someone's put them further north. They in the haven't. West Fork. Yeah. And, yeah. And, yeah. I mean they've moved all the way up. I know they sit right at the base of Salt Creek into Monroe. Yeah. They sit right there. They're stacked up in there. I mean they're really? stacked up at every dam. Yeah. Actually, one of my buddies caught some down in the Green Sullivan State Forest from flooding over from the white when when it all connected. So they're in some of those lakes now. Yeah, they're pretty much everywhere. How destructive are those things? It's the science is starting to back off a little bit from what I can tell. Kind of like snakehead. (laughs) Yeah. Where they were like the death sentence for all game fish. And then now they're like, Oh no, they're fine. Yeah. I mean, it's changing. There's more biomass evasion carp than there are other native species that should be there. And they're filter feeders, so they're feeding on the same things as paddlefish and shad and everything else. So there are effects of them, but you don't see a you don't see that affecting like smallmouth and largemouth as much. Uh, there's a potential they could. If you think about most of the Asian carp are actually in our bigger rivers. Uh-huh. So, and besides the white and tippy and Sugar Creek, there's not too many people smallmouth fishing in the Wabash that I know of. It seems like the tip canoe, the smallmouth nobody's freaking out. I mean, it seems like people are still catching quality smallmouth and it seems like there's still good numbers there and they're, they're cohabitating. So is that a test? Is that a, you know, a sample or is that a test group or is that just anecdotal? I guess it's probably all anecdotal at this point. Um, so you'd need to see them cohabitating in multiple, you know, multiple river systems for you to make a, yeah, and real t- scientific determination, I guess. Yeah, and the tippy is one of our better rivers too, from a water quality and just overall fish species habitat site. Also, right. Um, we could talk another hour and a half about having more species, more native species, you know, outcompete invasive species. Right. Just that whole saturation <laughs> standpoint from it, but hmm. Hmm. let's not That's dig right. down the rabbit hole of maybe next time. Well, yeah, I say, I or would you be cool coming on during the springtime and doing like a spawn episode? Because I'd be really Dude. interested in that whole. Because there's our, a lot what's of what's my- time looking like here. One ten. Yeah. Oh, yeah there's a lot of mystery to me still with the spawn. As much as I think I understand it, you probably understand it like I don't way better. Yeah, and, and Reed probably understands it even better. <laughs> <laughs> and there's still a lot of variability on it. I mean, you were talking to me, right? Well, it's just like I always. It, it's weird because when I I don't want to get into it too much, but. You know, I'll think I have it nailed down, and then, oh, like, oh, yeah, the fish have spawned, and then I'll catch one in, like, June, and I'll be like, man, this fish looks like it just spawned, and I'm, like, confused about it. So I'm sure you'll give us some better information on that. There's definitely variability. 
Yeah. Because they don't all spawn at the same time, right? right. I mean, they... Like, yeah, even in the, the same system, well, right? Those... That's what this guy is famous for, because he... we If we go somewhere, and he's like, oh, the fish are already spawned. They're in post-spawn mode. I'm like, dude, the fish don't all spawn at once. He's like, oh, they're all post-spawn mode. And he's like, I can, we can't catch anything. That's what you did in the James last year. You, oh, like, yeah. convinced me that all the fish had spawned, and we couldn't catch any, and they were in post-spawn mode. They but, may have been. But, I mean, a spawn is going to... I don't answer this one question from the first fish that spawns to the last fish that spawns. Like how long of a time frame are we talking? Oh, you can go three to four weeks, five weeks, even that's way shorter than I thought. Mm. I thought it was more like two months. Mm. I mean, if you get if you get difference in environmental cues, like flooding spawn, and stuff, yeah, it's going to shut them down and they'll pick back up. Maybe that's why. Maybe, yeah. I've, yeah. Maybe they were all post spawn. Is there any crow you'd like to eat live for our audience? No. Okay. Well, I gave you the opportunity to to I mean, bow you were gracefully right. as a man. You were right on the James. Yeah. You were right on the James. Yeah, because that's why I want to talk to you about like how you, we can determine when fish are getting ready to spawn, like what things to look for and water temperatures and. All Dude, that I want to have stuff. you back on like sooner than a year. Because this was great. I mean, oh, I learned. This is, this is really good. I learned a lot, dude. A lot. Yeah, if you I appreciate didn't learn you coming this on this episode. Right. I almost feel like a hot chick in high school. I'm just like, yeah, do my homework for me. You know, you're so much better at it. Come back and teach me more. I could read a book, but you know it. <laughs> so come back. You call me the nerd. <laughs> Basically, just using me. Yeah, man, I like it. Hey, well, we'll right. just wait for that phone call. I mean, I I, I texted you for the Heartland. And you're like, I'm going on Sunday. Oh, uh, Josh was and supposed to go with go. me. He was supposed to go with me. He he. Do you know that that was here. the Heartland Fly Fishing Festival? I'm not a fly fisher. Well, you shouldn't have told me you were going. <laughs> All right, so we got three three new reviews. Anything else, Reed, before I don't want to cut you off. Nope, I mean, let's read these reviews. Yeah, dude. See let's if Hosh Jones is one of them. No. Uh, this is from J.R. Bell 69, obviously one of our fans. Couldn't help but throw 69 in there. Good mm. show, entertaining, quality dirty jokes, pumpernickel. <laughs> uh, here we go. This one's from Andre, or what? what is it? And Reuter, and Reuter. I know that's uh, my neighbor. Title: Um, Andrew. the show was good, but the pumpernickel was great. All right, let's see here. Muy bueno from Time Machine, buddy. Great river fishing tips and stories. Funny dudes. Excellent guests with lots of brain power. That's probably you, bud. Yes. Everybody else has been an idiot. Yeah, and it's still about pumping her nipples. <laughs> <laughs> All right, and then this one's uh. <laughs> this is left on Thursday from uh, Also Do. Uh, title Awesome. I laugh. I learn. It's great. Only downside is these clowns don't ice fish. Very good podcast and so great to have a place to get local knowledge and techniques. Well, so nobody's go. ice fishing <laughs> at the end of this year. <laughs> no, we, we went slush fishing today and it didn't go well. So, yeah. anyways, man, I really appreciate you coming on. Yeah, thanks, uh, dude. Hey, it's my pleasure. Honestly. I selfishly don't want you to start your own podcast because I want you to come on yes, here. You and can go, come on anytime. But I've want. literally thought so many times when you're talking like this guy should just have this guy should be in charge. <laughs> I'm I should just we should both just resign and let him just take this over because it would be 
probably way better. Yeah, probably. <laughs> definitely. <laughs> like we said, probably. It would be definitely Chris, better. shut up. <laughs> I know, right? I'm going to resign right. to being just a guest. i got yeah, too many but, hobbies to add one more to it. Dude. Well, I appreciate you coming on, Reed. It was great. Uh, and you, you can be found at on Instagram, Reed Angling. Is that right? Uh, it's Lodic underscore fishing. Not even close. Not even close. <laughs> Not even close. Lodic <laughs> underscore fishing. And you do sell some stuff, right? Like a sticker or something. Yeah. Like I've got that, the small corn fed sticker. Yeah. That. Which and I've it, seen on several occasions now. People. Uh, I just got my second order and I've sold that many of them. Yeah. Really? So, yeah. I was like, that's cool. Well, sweet. And. Not getting in the sticker business. I don't have time for that either, but at least have one or a couple more on the way. We got a Smalley Talk Dude, sticker for if you. If you're going to be the sticker mm. tycoon. Yeah. All right, man. Well, again. And, really, and the two guys that won, I can't remember. Jesse, Jesse Daniel. Daniel and, and F, that's dad delicious. <laughs> if you guys uh, send us a message on Facebook with your address, so I'll, I'll get you out your rusty lures. Absolutely. <laughs> You're rusty. Literally. All right, man. Well, hey, thanks a lot, Josh. We appreciate you having us over here. And, uh, Anytime. Thanks, Anytime. everybody, for listening. And free the fighter. Free the fighter. All right. Thanks. Crayfish. Ow!